You're listening to And hey, welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is episode 75 for Thursday, September the 30th, 2021. We are on the last day of September. I'm getting ready for a spooky month. And uh, joining me, as always, to talk about all the good pop that gets us through our days, we have self-proclaimed professional Asian-American Jess Jew. Hello. What's up, Jess? It's the spookiest of thing of, of seasons. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'll try to be thematic. <laughs> Very scary. Uh, also joining us, professional culture editor Han Win. You, it's not spooky month yet because I haven't changed my Twitter handle to the spooky handle yet. You know, I forgot to do oh, that yeah, the last year. Thing. Oh my god, I, I need to come up with one by Friday. By Friday, that's October first. <laughs> I I just fall back on the same one I've been using the past few years because it's like the only one I could figure out that was clever. Wow, Jess, you just went to the unspookiest place in the world, the most happiest place, <laughs> some might say. You went to Disneyland. How was uh? How was the post COVID Disneyland? I have- went to California, just California Adventure. Uh, went to well, I had like leftover tickets because I bought that like SoCal special that was available in 2020, and then they shut down for 18 months. So I have tickets that I need to use, and I'm too Asian to let these tickets expire. Uh, checked out Avengers Campus. You know, I'm gonna say it. Hot take: Bugs Land is better. Bugs Land is better. It's more whimsical. It's more magical. Heimlich's Choo Choo Train is a better ride than Web Slingers, um, which is the new Spider-Man ride. And there's just, it's too military industrial complexy. Like, it's not magical. It's just, <laughs> it's just corrugated steel, like a lot of corrugated steel. I mean, if you go back and watch the MCU movies, all of the like, like first two phases have all been kind of military industrial complexy, right? They're all working for government agencies and fighting quote-unquote yeah, terrorists. Yeah, no, so what I'm saying is they should have just kept it as Bugs Land. Like, we didn't need an Avengers Campus. Wait, so is Avengers Campus, so Avenger Campus where the old Bugs Land was? Because I was trying yeah. to figure out where this place is because I was yes, pretty sure they have no more between, land. It is between where the Hollywood Tower of Terror <clears throat> is and the um, like Cars Land. So yes, it is exactly where Bugs Land used to be. They built over, they got rid of Bugs Land to build the Avengers Campus. And again, oh. that was a mistake because <laughs> the Bugs Land was magical, so cute. The bathroom was like a cereal box. And Heimlich's Choo Choo Train was one of the best rides ever. What can I say? <laughs> Once a bug, little bug, you're a bug. <laughs> Tower Terror also no longer existing, huh? No, it's now Guardians, which is it's a fun ride, but like I don't know, I feel like this is a very deep cut, only for a very specific age of millennial people who were like had no friends and just watched a lot of TV. But in some point, Disney Disney Channel made a four TV movie starring Steve Gutenberg and Kirsten Dunst about the Hollywood Tower of Terror, and that is the movie that ins- that it was a movie kind of inspired by, I guess. I it, was a know, it was a Twilight Zone episode, episode but they turned it into a TV yeah. movie for kids that they turned into a ride. So, I have very deep affection for that Steve Gutenberg TV movie, Tower of Terror. So, I really like Tower of Terror and like the theme. That was very well done. But you know, people want Guardians of the Galaxy. They want the 
They want the soundtrack. They want the. So I think it makes more sense as Tower of Terror. But um, when I went to Disney Tokyo Sea, we were seated next to this family of like a mom and two daughters. And the daughters, even before we got on the ride, I thought looked too young to ride this ride. Like they were like barely tall enough. And they were both very apprehensive while the mom was super excited. And then after the ride was over, so much screaming. Those kids were just traumatized. I get it. I've been there. I I myself decided to go on the ride and traumatize myself. So like, <laughs> it happens. It's fine. It builds character. They'll the be fine. The after ride picture was um, the mom having the time of her life and the two daughters looking like they're about to die. It's okay. She's teaching them valuable life lessons. I don't know what it what what they would be, but she's teaching it to them. <laughs> All right. Well, we are at the end of September, which means it's time for our monthly Asian American Entertainment News Roundup called Do We Want This? But before we get to that, let's find out what non-Disney stuff we've been up to. Jess, what else is popping? So, my long-awaited... Great British Bake Off has returned <laughs> for the year 2021. We have they, they come out on Mondays in the UK, and then we get them on Friday. So that's like four days. Like that's fine. I can I can live with that. I'm too lazy to go look for the legal streaming links anymore. They took down my subreddit that used to have all of them. So I'm just gonna wait. But first episode, always Cake Week. So far, really liking all of the contestants. They're they seem like a fun bunch. We have you know some pensioners in there. We got like a Gen Z vegan contestant who like low key just probably wants to die. We love that energy. We have like our kooky like um, contestant who like seems like Noel's like soulmate twin. Love that. We have a fun Italian guy named Giuseppe. And uh, yeah, all things pretty good on the contestant side. I absolutely am not enjoying this judging group dynamic. There's just too much dumb energy. Like everyone's too dumb. Everyone's playing the jester. Did they change it, it up? Or is it still work. Paul? It's still Matt Proof. Lucas oh. and <laughs> Noel. But like, I'm fine with Noel being the jester. But you can't add another jester to Noel's jester. Like it's it's too much. And, like, someone needs to rein in Paul Hollywood's dumb big head because <laughs> they've made it the Paul Hollywood show. And I'm like, why? He Someone needs to, like, just metaphorically, like, punch him in the face every, you know, like, every show. Like, Prue doesn't do that. Also, she's, like, a Brexiter, so she, like, kind of sucks. Um, So, yeah, like, it's not... I, I still miss the old judging. I still thought it was better when, like, even Sandy was in the mix because at least she was, like, not dumb. Like, she wasn't playing the dumb card. That's true. And, and Mel and Sue these... used to just dunk on Paul all the time. Yeah. And they do these really weird, like, opening sets. Like, they, they this whole opening number where they're, like, singing Don't, like, Achy Breaky Heart by Billy Ray Cyrus. Oh. And I'm like, and they change the lyrics to, like, be singing about Tart. And I'm like, is this what all the Channel 4 money's going to? Like, why? Mm. Like, this is not what we want. Like, the show should not be about the judges. So I have not started watching this because this is the one show that I cannot watch without my partner um, mm-hmm. together. Um, so I have to ask, though, because last season was probably the weakest in terms of the challenges because they all turn into nailed it challenges that like no one could ever succeed in. Like, how are the challenges so far? So far, they seem fine. So the first one they had to do, they had to make like 12 roll Swiss roll cakes, like mini ones. I think that's totally mm-hmm. fine. 
um, it was a malt loaf for their technical, and then they had to do an anti-gravity cake. So I feel like that's all pretty reasonable. Some of the cakes are really great. Um, I don't know how far it's going to dissolve. Because I do remember last year their cake challenge was they had to make a bust of somebody with cake. And that yeah. was just so terrifying. Which is just nailed it. That's, that's, that's asking, a nailed it challenge right yeah, there. Yeah, it's asking for it. Yes. Yeah, so hopefully they've learned and they're going to pull it back and just, you know, give them adequate amount of time. To just do really well in the challenges they have. Yeah. Because right? the now. aren't too crazy. Yeah. Because now they have their celebrity version for that nailed it energy. Because I feel like yes. that's all that was. Right. Yes. So they should, they <laughs> should, you know, diversify their portfolio and understand people. Watch Great British Bake Off for comfort and like competency porn. We don't watch it for the nailed it. Like disaster. Second most important question. Any Asians in this cohort? Yes, of always. There's the they find like the most beautiful South Asian women in like the UK to compete in this show. There's always like, like yeah, she like she's super cute. I want to be her friend, and I there's it's pretty diverse. Like overall, you know, pretty diverse. I do think like they've kept that over from the BBC because you know BBC has like mandates. Uh, so they have kept that. So yeah, I'm looking forward to it. And I won't say who's eliminated, but I'm like, okay, that's fine. Not going to miss this person. Let's keep it going. Let's keep it going. Yeah. What's popping with you, Tan? I uh, previewed it <laughs> by saying Squid Game is what I watched. And so that's all I had time for. None of these feel good things. Um, Just darkness. <laughs> it, it It's dark, but it's still good. And I think it's not, it doesn't, I mean, yes, you could be probably depressed about it, but I think there are some things about it that make you feel good because of uh, the characterizations are actually pretty good. Uh, so basically, if you haven't looked at your Netflix or haven't heard it from your friends, especially your Asian friends, Squid Game is a Korean drama made by uh, Hwang Dong-yuk, who he's done a, quite a few acclaimed films, including um, Silenced. It was... Uh, the one that was set in a deaf school where kids were being uh, taken advantage of. So he's used to doing some social commentary things. He's also done comedy. Um, I think Miss Granny was one, the one that he's known best for. He's So he's done four films and all of a sudden he's like, yeah, let's do this series. And so he wrote the first two episodes, but it took him six months. He's just like, oh man, this is hard. Um so uh, he, and then he had to get some input to help him like finish it out. But it, the nice thing about that is do, it does show that kind of like what we talk about with TV auteurs here in the States is like you kind of get that very good sort of tone throughout. It's fairly consistent. The storytelling and the characters are consistent. So just the basic plot, if you uh, haven't heard, is um, this the main guy is uh, Gi Hun. He is sort of like he's you get introduced to him. He's kind of a sad sack. He's uh he lives with his mom. He's about mid forties. Um, he's divorced, so he's he finds out like his daughter's birthday is that day. He has no money, so he steals his mom's debit card. <laughs> um and uh and then goes to the track <laughs> because that's how he's gonna earn money. Um eventually he gets a card that has a number and he learns that he can get money this way he he at first refuses but then eventually he's desperate enough 
calls the number. They say, meet us here at this time. So he goes, gets picked up by a van. And then in the van, he gets gassed. So um, he wakes up with everyone else in a giant dormitory wearing a green tracksuit. <laughs> and uh, they learn that they are all about to play a game. Um, there are 456 people. He is number 456. They're only numbered. And um, it turns out to be sort of like red light, green light with this giant like robot as the person doing the red light, green light. And so as she does like the green light, everyone's creeping forward. And then when she says red light and then they turn around um, and if you're still moving, guess what? You're eliminated. But when you're eliminated, you're shot. <laughs> so that's the part that's kind of given away in the trailer. And um, it's kind of a bloodbath. And, you know, the deal is, of course, the more people who die, the bigger pot of money it is. So there are incentives to stay in the game. Um, I think a lot of these people don't realize that, you know, there can only be one winner. And so that's the other part where it's kind of like it becomes cutthroat. Um, it's definitely a uh, very clear, I think, uh, commentary on capitalism, but also the desperation that puts these people in this situation where they they realize that like death is an option because they need the money for whatever amounts of debts or whatever things they need to do. Um, and then it's also like, you know, a, a psychological study of each person, what they're willing to do, how they're going to play the game, etc. Um, great actors. Give CBS some ideas. Oh, God. Great actors, great character arcs. Uh, besides the, the not even a cameo, but I guess the smaller role for Gong Yu that we mentioned, there's a few other people you'll probably recognize. Um, the creator director, uh, Huang, has used some of these people in his movies before. So if you watch those movies, you will probably recognize them. Honestly, if you're familiar with any Korean content for a while, you'll at least recognize one face. Um, I think it's pretty funny, but also, of course, super gory. Um, I think each of the games they play end up being very well written as far as they're, they're tense throughout. And you're kind of like trying to see what every person's going to do. I don't know. I just think it's good. It's, it's already number one on Netflix, which is kind of un, un, unheard of for a foreign language series. I think Lupin kind of got up there and Money Heist kind of got up there, but not number one. So, um, yeah, I'm kind of excited about that. Also, the fact that it's doing very well successfully is sort of the anti, uh, the ironic because of the whole anti-capitalist sort of uh, commentary there. I mean, you say that, but we also know that people love a good death game story. I mean, just look at... No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm not saying it's ironic that people like it. I'm saying it's ironic because the show is of anti-capitalism, but... But Netflix how many people are really pro- picking up on what it's laying down? Well, I think the only reason why I would say that they are is because the director did an interview early on, and so he, he said it was about capitalism. So I think everyone knows it, but you're right that most people are not talking about the capitalism in the Reddit forums. So I, I checked them out already because I had no one to talk to about it. So hopefully next week when we cover this, we can go all into that stuff and, and all the gossip and the characters and you know things like that that everyone else is going to talk about um, and the games. It's interesting because this is actually the second Asian death game series on Netflix this year because Alice in Borderland was also that, yeah. was, that was also this year too, right? So why, you, why do you this think this, um, this one caught on instead of Alice in Borderland? I think for a few reasons. I think um, Korean TV stuff ends up being more accessible because people have been watching K-dramas over like, let's say, J-dramas. So I think the other reason why maybe this did well was... Um, 
because like as I mentioned, he's a pretty well-known director and um and creator and uh the talent in there is fairly well known. So even if they try to choose like lesser known, like <laughs> for the main characters, they're still known. They're like I looked at their their resumes and I was like, even if I don't know you, their resume is super long. And they're like all models and actors. So I was like, and then once I saw their faces, I'm like, yeah, you you've had work. Um I don't mean work <laughs> done on their face. I meant you've had a resume. <laughs> so hey. people know you. So that's why I think it's like it probably had some sort of buzz. Um the odd thing was when I looked at um because we get the list of programming for the coming month early as press um and when i went through it all both i and one other uh editor i know th- that i'm in touch with were like what is this show and so we both asked for screeners but they only gave us two episodes um in advance so i was just like i cannot cover it with just those two episodes <laughs> so i had to wait until it aired and then i like watched it so because yeah. I was like, once once I saw it, I was like, there's no way I can just partially write about it. So, I mean, it's taken the world by storm because obviously it's like the current zeitgeist, right? So, um, there's obviously something there, and yeah, I mean, who knew this was the year Death Games came back? It's been a yeah. while since like the last big Death Game craze was like the one that followed uh, what you call it, Hunger Games, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Hunger Games, Hunger yes, Games was like a Death the Game, last yeah, big. Yeah, game with children. Yeah, and so I, I think you're right. I, I think, I mean, th- I think there were a few others that are not as well known, but Alice in Borderland for sure. It's a big genre in like Asian YA and manga and anime. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's every once in a while one of these crosses over. I mean, I guess um, there was that one um, really bad movie about like the um, the conspiracy theory about like sending like Trumpers to like a death game. Oh, 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 yeah. Uh, it wasn't. It wasn't the purge, but it was. It was like it was, the purge. Yeah, yeah. And, and we even have a like a review on it on our site. <laughs> I don't remember the name of it, but it was bad. Um, I mean, it. I. I don't know why. Of course, a lot of people know Battle Royale, which was an old Japanese movie that kind of did it, and um, that I think popularized a lot of it over in the West when that came over. But yeah, I don't know why Asians are into it. Maybe because it's a safe way to explore certain themes. Um, I mean, themes. we'll talk about it when we talk about Squid Game. But definitely like, when you have a death game, it's like the most visceral way to explore morality and ethics, right? Like, what are you willing to give your life for? Who's going to be so tragic? Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, yes. I mean, also just such an easy concept to explain, right? Like, death game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we all know what that is. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but Are you anyway. willing to die if someone else deserves it more than you? Oh, who cares about deserving it? Um, <laughs> I very very enjoyable. I was very happy with it, and I need to tell my brothers to watch it because I think they will appreciate it. Except uh, they just can't watch around their kids either. <laughs> How young so, was I when I watched Battle Royale? Probably too young. Too young. Too young. Anyway, good times, <laughs> Marvin. What's popping with you? Much like Han, I didn't have much time to watch anything. But unlike Han, instead of watching Squid Game, I was working at my first like live event in over a year. Like I mentioned before, I'm a programmer for the LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. And that film festival is happening right now. So this past weekend, I was um, over in LA Live and Little Tokyo presenting uh, films and doing Q&As and just, you know, working amongst people for the first time. And man, it is exhausting. I am no, I am not as young as I used to be, but 
it was good to see people again. Even though I don't know about you guys, but um, since we have a podcast, we do talk to each other every week. Mm-hmm. But in person, I've forgotten how exhausting, or maybe it, just, it has become exhausting to talk to people in person, like just doing small talk. Like I don't think I can do it anymore. I mean, it is a different skill. I have, uh, I am definitely an introvert, and but I can very much play it off. Um, most people don't know I'm an introvert when I go out, um, but I definitely do. It takes a toll on me, and I think the after the pandemic year and a half we've had, um, people have actually said that it is harder because we have kind of lost that skill, and so we kind of have to ramp it back up again so um yeah. i i am totally fine with talking to you too every week and it's actually invigorating because it's relaxing uh even if we disagree it's not like a big deal there are no judgments here <laughs> <laughs> i don't have to like lie and say i'm doing great you know all that type of stuff so it's, yeah. it's very relaxing versus out there you kind of have to play it off you have to be on yeah like how do you answer how have you been i've been stuck in my room for a year yeah the doing other thing great is- I I think that's the problem is like I've always had that sort of pressure when anyone asks me how I am I have this this weird urge to like tell the truth and I'm like they don't want to hear that shit uh, like burn it down let's burn it down like, yeah. who cares yeah whereas we can say that on this podcast so yeah a couple highlights though I got to meet Rhea Perlman she showed up at the Marvel's the Black Hole um, oh um screening that I did the Q and A for so that was fun um it's crazy because so that film is about um it stars mia check as a disaffected teen grieving for her mother it's like a coming of age story she meets and she finds like a mentor in maria perlman's uh, magician character yeah so that was fun um i got an update on the try harder kits um apparently alvin our favorite um dude is um, back with his mom after graduating from berkeley but he's in a better place now so yeah i guess that's good good for him I mean, no judgment in this economy, especially <laughs> during like anyone from millennial and downwards. I like I know it's so hard financially. So. That film, even watching it on the side <laughs> as like a programmer, just like kind of like sitting in still gives me anxiety, like still gives me like flashbacks. And <laughs> I feel so lame because, yeah, I did sit at home and watch Squid Game, but I kind of needed the not doing anything sort of thing but i was invited and i feel really bad and i wanted to eat the food and support but not for film uh film festival it was uh hbo visionaries that i was talking yeah i also got invited to the after party at major domo um which is yes. david chang's restaurant in chinatown i had thought that after party would have been closer to the theater but like uh-huh. there was no way i was gonna drive to chinatown to party after like a 10 hour Ma- day so yeah, I just that, went it, home too. that is odd because if, if it's not close, they should provide a shuttle. And but then, of course, you decide like I don't know if I want to take a shuttle to take me out of if it yeah. has to take me back to a place that I don't want to go. Apparently, um, yeah, free parking. Apparently, it was a lot I, of fun. I got there late. They wouldn't even let me in. Really? <laughs> oh, I'm glad I didn't even bother then. Um, um, I think that's the difference between this year and past years. Is like usually I'm like, yeah, I'll go to the party. Let's like mm-hmm. let's stay up till three. And this year I'm like, no, I'm gonna go home and sleep. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Well, I I just know I, I'm like very excited for screenings when they start at six because like then I'll get out by eight. And I'm like, yay, I can actually still eat dinner and then go to bed. Um, <laughs> and then like today, even like I was like, oh, it's, I have a screening in the middle of the day. But that means I'll be done in time and get to do like podcasting and other stuff. So I was like, yes, I will miss a good chunk of my work day. And so I had to I actually had to stay up late last night so I could get some work done ahead of time. 
Yeah. Um, but yes, midday, all about it. <laughs> yeah. So the festival took up my entire weekend last weekend, and it's going to take up the latter half mm. of this week as well. Um, Wednesday, we have our shorts programs and also a um, special presentation of the new Lifetime movie that was directed ah. by Rossi Shi, um, List of a Lifetime. On Thursday, we have a couple screenings, uh, one that I have to present as well. And then Friday, we have, um, I think Friday is our Filipino night. So we have a, a oh, cool. full slate of Filipino features and shorts, including um, the sequel to the cult classic Lumpia um, yes. called Lumpia with a Vengeance. <laughs> Apparently, it co-stars Danny Trejo. I saw um, that name, uh, <laughs> Lumpia with a Vengeance. Oh, my God. Yeah. It's awesome. And then Saturday is our closing night, which will be screening um, The Fabulous Filipino Brothers, which is the film directed by um, Dante Bosco and written by his brothers. Yeah, it has the, to be the Boscos. The brothers Bosco and, and the yeah. sister Bosco. Yeah. Uh, I mean, they're all already with the second generation of Boscos in entertainment, right? Like, yeah, Ella J. Bosco. Yeah, Ella. Uh, so yeah, um, LA Asian Pacific Film Festival. If you're in the LA area and want to watch some... Um, new asian american films um come check it out we'll be in downtown la on wednesday through friday and back in little tokyo on saturday so vcmedia.org is the site you should go to um to find out more about the festival and yeah that'll do it for what's popping for this week uh, when we come back we're gonna take a look at the latest asian american entertainment news in our monthly news segment do we want this stick around I'm Quincy Cho. And I'm Kay Khan Apu. And we host Marvel Makeup. It's a podcast where I teach Quincy a little about Marvel. And I teach Kay a little bit about makeup. Join us as we watch and talk about every movie and TV show in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I'm mostly watching for the first time. And join us as we apply makeup stuff to our faces, which I'm using for the first time. Marvel Makeup is part of the Potluck Podcast Collective, and you can find new episodes every other Monday wherever you listen to podcasts. And you can catch video versions of Marvel Makeup on our YouTube channel. So please rate, review, and subscribe. And please give us five stars so our Asian moms will understand why we buy so much electronic equipment. Because it's for this podcast, Marvel Makeup. And welcome back to the Good Pop Culture Club. It is time for Do We Want This? The September 2021 edition. Uh, for those of you who have not listened to our show before, um, every month we go around and go over some of the latest Asian American entertainment news and ask ourselves if we want this. Uh, so let's start off with Han. What's our first story, Han? <laughs> so we are back with the award season. We had the Emmys, which actually had a lot of people, um, talent in the same room together, not just zooming in and not knowing how to use their technology uh, or wearing rainbow hoodies. Um, so that was actually kind of exciting for viewers. They actually watched. I think the um, the viewership was higher than it was last year. Not terribly surprising. Um, and apparently they were all in a tent and uh, Seth Rogen complained about it because they were supposed to be in an open air and, you know, it was an enclosed tent. So it was basically same like a building. Anyway, um, but I think the big deal about this year was despite that sort of excitement and like Ted Lasso being honored, which people were happy about, um, there were not just fewer shows overall, you know, acknowledged like they kept it seemed like they did the sort of the down ballot. Like, I like this show. I will vote for everything. Um, but they also, despite a 
really good number of people of color nominated in the acting categories, none of them won. Uh, in the primetime ceremony, the only person of color who won was Michaela Cole for writing um, I May Destroy You, which was a fantastic moment. She had a 30-minute speech, a 30-second speech that she killed, beautifully written, very inspiring, talking about like disappearing for a while, meaning like just don't get into the whole social media and the big, you know, media and discourse space. Kind of listen to yourself and just be yourself. Um, and that's how you can be creative and all that type of stuff, which also was in high contrast because she followed uh, the Queen's Gambit director who went on for three over three minutes he he talked over the band twice because he thought his amazing words were worth it and he was trying to follow in the footsteps of debbie allen who shushed the band but you know what she got the whole governor's award so she's allowed to shush the band yeah, also she's also debbie allen a household name she's yeah. debbie freaking mm. allen she's also said really great things and I'm sorry, like, I enjoyed The Queen's Gambit, but Scott Frank, his speech was so fucking boring, and he could not read the room because he was literally reading from, <laughs> he could read a piece of paper, he couldn't read the room. Um, I mean, isn't this a ma ma microcosm for so much of oh, us? I feel like right we saw now. this happen, Was didn't this happen, like, one year at the Oscars, too? Uh, I don't know if it was that bad, but it was definitely all in a row because it all happened. Um, oh. sequentially that it kind of was like what the what 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 <laughs> so um yeah and then yeah. of course at the very end when queen's gambit won the big category uh then the other executive producer who was a white man went up and he gave a long speech about how this show is amazing that it sticks it to the patriarchy doesn't let his female lead speak but he does say that she brought sexy back to chess um now here's the thing i think he mixed things up because the show brought sexy back to chess, but since he mentioned her, it definitely sounded like, yay, patriarchy, isn't she sexy? So um, he's also just a very long-winded white guy. I know because I interviewed him. Awkward. And I couldn't hardly use any of his quotes. I'm very sorry, Netflix, but you're not going to listen to this. Um, <laughs> but, you know, perfectly nice man. Did not know how to read my face. Did not know how to, like, I was trying to get him to say something interesting. What very barely usable stuff. So, um, yeah, like man, it it was kind of that. That was like the microcosm for the whole show, which was we're going to acknowledge that we have all these like great black actors because I know that's what we should do. But when we vote, we're just gonna vote all Queen's Gambit hacks the crown, um, and uh, <laughs> yeah, royalty and Ted Lasso. And the thing about the crown was. I get it. People like the crown and maybe like one or two of these were uh, genuinely um, earned. However, when the Prince Charles guy, who I actually like the actor, Josh O'Connor, who played him, he's he's great in the uh, Durrells of Corfu um, and many other things. But there's no way his role was better than, let's say, Billy Porter's um, in Pose. I really was hoping that with Pose being the final season. Both MJ Rodriguez and Billy Porter would be honored. Um, I also, of course, wanted Michaela Cole for I May Destroy You, but I knew she wouldn't get it for acting. I knew she would get it for writing, so that's fine. Um, but also uh, Michael K. Williams, who 
yes, the ballots were turned in before he died, but he was still very, he's still always good. And he's never won for the wire, I don't believe. So it's kind of like they should have voted for him anyway. <laughs> um, and there were just so many people, Bo and Yang uh, for comedy, nominated. Great, great with the nominations. Sucks Did Michael K have a show that was up? Oh, he was in Lovecraft. Oh, right, right, right. Yeah. yeah he was the mm-hmm. dad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so yeah, there were some great nominations. No wins except for daytime Emmys, which don't count as primetime Emmys. So. <laughs> oh, man. All and right. I didn't so, want to, yeah, I didn't want to gloss sound, Yeah. So, it sounds like uh, we had a regression in the Emmys. So, I guess, do we want this? No. <laughs> I, <laughs> I mean, that's a hard no. That's a very clear no. I, I only got to say, though, that like with every setback, it is just a good reminder to people like, no, racism is not solved, people. Um, so, uh, yeah, that was it was disheartening. Yeah. Emmys, get your shit together. The Oscars put it together. Well, and, like, they're, they're up for a regression this year, probably, too. But yeah, I think I think people just need like constant reminders. And then maybe the Emmys thought they did so well with their nominations. They just pat themselves on the back and decide to vote whatever, however they want it. So we need to look at the Emmy voting body. One of the uh, actresses I follow, I think it was Rebecca Metz, um, said, by the way, if if any of you people in the industry are frustrated by the Emmys, um, maybe take a look at the qualifications to be an Emmy voter. And you might be surprised that you are eligible. So if you are frustrated and eligible, why don't you try and be a member? So uh, hopefully yeah. they it changes the makeup soon. <sighs> All right. Jess, what's our next story? So SNL has released its cast for its upcoming 46th season 47th season and uh, speaking of bowen yang he has been officially been promoted to featured player which is awesome so he went from a basically a staff writer to uh i guess he's a series regular now featured player now he's been promoted to series regular or series like repertory player and yeah like honestly i don't even watch snl anymore i only watch <laughs> bo and yang skits on snl the day after on youtube or hulu so it's very well deserved mm-hmm. uh chloe Feynman, who i also really liked and i had been following her she's a white lady though so <laughs> a little a thematically adjacent fantastic impressions um she also got up to a full-time repertory player and then they, less fun, they added, they announced three new hires. You know, every season they bring in new featured players. And basically they, if they do well enough, I don't even really know the full process of how they select. They get bumped up to regular. And their three um, new people are, shall we say, not diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, which I did see a really funny tweet was like, now you can't blame like people of color for not getting onto SNL, white boys. I mean, one could maybe, if you squint, be ethnically ambiguous. Mm. But potentially, yes. But I mean, like, who are they going to get him to play, right? <laughs> like, who he going to play? That's the thing. Like, yeah. it's so shitty when you only have one or like when you only have one Asian person. But I mean, <laughs> I think it's undeniable that Bowen Yang has definitely left a cultural imprint. You know, he's been making time. He, his skits are just funny. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the funniest things I've seen recently were like the Sarah Lee, Harry Styles, like sexual Instagram <laughs> skit. We all love the iceberg. Mm-hmm. I really like his um, chairman. Mal. Um, what was it? Not chairman no, Mal, Mal, but the uh, chairman of 
of commerce, like the Chinese chairman of commerce, um, skit on like Weekend Update, uh, which, yeah, there's a lot of things I don't like about SNL right now, but Bowen Yang is always lovely. I'm very happy for him. Uh, I hope this just gives him, you know, continues the momentum. And we, I want him to have that career that like, like the optimal post SNL career. You know what I mean? Like some of them after they leave SNL, they just, it just dies. Mm. And then some of them become like icons of like, yeah, American comedy. And I think Bowen deserves to be an icon. I mean, Bowen is going to be in that Andrew on directed mm-hmm. um, fire Island rom-com yes. uh, with Joel Kim Booster Pride and Prejudice oh my god I've been looking at um, Andrew on posted like some like I don't think they're set photos but like photos of them hanging out while filming and looks like they're having a lot of fun seems lovely yes and Bowen is gonna be the Lizzie not Lizzie Bowen's gonna be the Jane mm-hmm. essentially <laughs> I love it oh my god I'm so excited best Jane ever because like I don't know like normally like Jane so <laughs> I guess we want this right Yes, we want this. I mean, we want we want the Bowen part. Yeah. I think SNL can do better. Uh, it was funny because someone in my work Slack like commented and they're like, "So and so new member like apparently has a killer Trump impersonation." I was like, "Great! I wish we didn't need one <laughs> because it's like <laughs> I really was hoping those could all go by, you know, in the past." Yeah. All right. Well, again, joining the Emmys and the do better, even though you're doing okay. But do better is SNL. No, do better. Do better. <laughs> yeah. All right. Our next story. Um, new CBC news, actually. Um, you know how we were lamenting that there are no more Asian American or Asian Canadian family sitcoms on TV anymore now that Kim's Convenience has you know, left the airwaves. CBC is here to save the day because American TV apparently isn't going to. Um, Andrew Fung, who played Kimchi on Kim's Convenience, which... Was he playing Korean or his name just Kimchi? That's that's what I was kept being confused about. But when he interacted and did certain things, I think it was implied that he okay. was Korean. I could be wrong. Maybe I'm one hundred percent. That was always a strange thing with that show. Both yeah. like Andrew Fong and like Simu Liu playing Koreans in this Korean oh, family. It's That's fine. Do you know how many times Koreans <laughs> play Chinese? Like it's like it's uh, yeah. equivalent Park did play there. a Taiwanese it's fine. Like, it's yeah. fine. No, it's fine. No, I'm, yeah, I'm not complaining about it except for that I really do. I, I hate to say this. It's like Kimchi did not look Korean to me. Like as soon as I saw him, I was like, "That's a Vietnamese dude." I was like, "Or, or he's supposed to play someone else?" I mean, so I got very Simu also looked hella Chinese on that show. True. Okay. Anyway. Well, Andrew has a new show where he's actually playing a Vietnamese guy this time. Um, it's going to be called Run the Burbs. It's going to be on CBC. Um, has a ton of diversity in her cast, including um, Ali Hassan, Rocky Marzaria, um, Samantha Wen. And it's going to be about the Fam family, a young, bold, mixed Vietnamese slash South Asian Canadian family taking a different approach to living their life to the fullest while changing the way we think about contemporary family values and life in the Burbs. Andrew plays a Vietnamese guy and then Rocky plays his wife who is South Asian. So do we want this? I mean, Andrew's also the co-creator for the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and bless his heart. He was like, yeah, let's, let's get, you know, I, I feel like a lesser, you know, lesser people would have just, you know, given themselves like a hot, young, blonde, white wife. <laughs> I'm gonna say it. So thank you, Andrew Vong. Yes, we want this. I mean, Andrew himself also has a mixed family of his own. So I think he just wanted to, yes. um, nice. you know. No, but his wife is in real life is white. Oh, 
I did not. But we're talking about like, <laughs> you know, opportunity creating jobs, literally creating jobs for an actress of color. And then also, you know, like your kids got to be also people of color, like actors of color too. And then the extended family, like that one decision ripples out a lot and just hiring opportunities and who gets paid to work. That's true because. Like like we saw on um, Andy Mack, making that decision means he gets to hire Vietnamese people for his family and mm-hmm. South Asian people for her family. And, you know, it's taking place in Toronto, supposedly, I think, um, which is a very, very diverse city as well. So, you know, so far, this show is doing making all the right moves. So, yeah, I definitely I also like the I'm fact that well. he his character is, I guess, a stay at home dad. Um, and his the, his wife, the the character of the wife is like the main breadwinner, and is like a very like high level exec. And I was like, yes, let us let us disrupt some gender roles as well. Yeah, which is to say, we're in your corner, Andrew. I I gotta support my Vietnamese guy, so you know. <laughs> All right, Han, tell me about Tudum. 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 Is that? You, is, oh my god! Is that what Can it I tell is? You, I had no idea what this Holy was. I was like, "Are we in Tulum?" And they keep spelling it wrong. And I had to Google it. I'm like, "What the fuck is Tudum?" Oh, I hate that. Tulum. So yeah. So the, it's the sound, Marvin. The so it's so much worse than I thought it was going to be. So so I have a few thoughts about just the word Tudum. Um, the way actually, if you you previously how saw how it's spelled in normal english um 20,000 hertz is a podcast i like listening to that did a whole episode on the origins of the netflix sound um and it was a very good episode but they spelled it t-a hyphen d-u-m with an exclamation point sort of actually self-explanatory maybe that was trademarked i don't know maybe they wanted to trademark their own word but t-u-d-u-m confused everybody and it looks bad there's the word tedium there's like uh, so many other things that people it's thought too of too close to tulum like yeah, it just looks right. like you sp- misspelled tulum mm-hmm. and like this was a conference that's supposed to take place like on the mexican riviera i also T-U-D-U-M, thought of dash d-u-m exclamation point would have made a better branding choice a t-a D-U-M. So it's Tadum. Yeah. Right. Instead of Tudum. Right? Because it's not two. Yeah. The sound is not Tudum. Yeah. It's 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 weird. Yeah. So anyway, that is exactly why it's called that. Um, I think from a branding perspective, everyone's making fun of it. But I think probably we'll get used to it just like we did sci-fi S-Y-F-Y back in the day. Anyway. So it's dumb. But you know what? They still gave a whole lot of information um i got a sort of a preview list of all the things they were going to announce and i was like i'm too tired and i don't and like none of my writers can you know work this weekend right because you just finished critics week oh yeah and the funny thing is netflix i was like i would halfway consider covering it if they had invited me but then it's all like think virtual or slash virtual uh whatever it was so uh there there were no invitations to be had um I mean, so, it was basically an E3 conference at this point, like a video yeah, game conference. It was, it was basically, they had their, like, it was D23, you know, but for Netflix. And so they set up whatever panels they wanted. They, they like, uh, dropped a hell of a lot of assets and, um, and premiere dates, which, you know, I mean, we all knew they were coming. But, like, so now we know, like, when Emily Paris is coming and Cobra Kai season four, because, you know, we need more of that Asian stuff. <laughs> Do we want that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we need more of those like magical Asians. Um, and then, uh, 
But I think the things that I was probably the most excited about was um, we got to see a little bit more Bridgerton, the photos. And I think there was a bit of a teaser. So we the South Asian love interest and her sister, um, uh, we got to see them in attire, which was fantastic um, and just made me excited. So it's kind of like a good reminder, like Bridgerton was like the the sexy sort of like guilty pleasure last year. I like having it be a tradition every year and maybe getting good people in color of color in period costumes. Um, so that was exciting. And then the other, I think, really big one um, was the main title sequence for Cowboy Bebop, uh, which Marvin, I actually want to ask your opinion of it because you saw it. And also you're more familiar with Cowboy Bebop. I need to actually refresh my memory. Yeah, we should probably do a refresh for this podcast, too. But I was... I was excited because it hit all the beats that it needed to in terms of like using the Yoko Kano track. You know, she's coming back to score the the TV show as well. Um, but it did leave me a little apprehensive because the scenes that they show, I mean, obviously it's a very stylish intro, you know, hits all the right notes. Um, but the little clips that they show seem to be shot for shot remakes of the episodes of the anime, which What's my main fear for this series, which is, are they just going to redo the anime or are they going to do their own thing? They say they're going to do their own thing. That's in interviews. But everything they've shown us has been like, hey, remember this scene from the anime? Nudge, nudge. So I don't know if they're doing it on purpose just to like, you know, hit those nostalgia buttons for me or it's going to be like a a retreading of the original series. All these adaptations are <laughs> catch 22 because for everyone who's like, it should be different. There's someone going, oh, why didn't they just do a shot for shot remake? Because <laughs> the original is so good, right? Like that's 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 the only two takes you can have about an adaptation, and no one's ever happy. I, why are they doing adaptations to begin with? Who knows? I, money. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I will say John Cho looks cool as shit. He looks, yeah, he looks totally so awesome. Um, I don't know how I feel about Vicious, which is the rival, the guy with the sword. He doesn't look as menacing as I, as I feel like that character needs to be. Um, but I am excited for it. And Cowboy Bebop has always been like, there's a lot of stories they could tell because it was created as like a, an anthology series, even as an anime series. So yeah, we won't know until it comes out in November, which is really soon too. So it's yeah. super soon. I'm not going to, I'm not prepared <laughs> for all yeah. of this TV, man. Um, and you know, Bridgerton, you know, I'm excited too, that people are excited for it. Um, but it, it it is about the shitty brother, right? That he's the main character. Oh yeah, but I don't care about like that. Like, <laughs> it, look, I think Bridgerton in general, including the book series, has always had its problems. I think the point is like they try to do something different, not perfectly. They're going to try it again. And honestly, because it's eight siblings, I'm just here for as many of those stories they are able to tell um, in a somewhat fantastical way including <laughs> inserting people of and, color and it's fine because the shittier they start the better the redemption uh, yeah okay honestly and i will say i like the book better i like the his anthony's book better than i like the daphne and simon book oh i i will have to say they better fix daphne's story for the show like her story was so lame anyway not daphne's story uh actually eloise sorry that's how i was thinking of other stuff though um witcher um, more Witcher stuff, which is always great. Yes. I'm excited for season season two of The Witcher. Um, I guess they're doing uh, Army of the Dead prequel. Yeah, it was. We always knew this when Army of the Dead came out. Um, they had already announced <clears throat> that Dieter, the uh, bank uh, 
safe cracker whatever um had a prequel and he was not only starring it but i think directing it um so that was always in the books but there's also i don't know if it's coming out this year but there's also an army of the dead prequel cartoon uh-huh. um coming out uh because look at netflix getting on the franchise game yeah i mean they they knew ahead of time and what, what is this about tiger king 2 i didn't realize yeah, that story here's the thing sequel i didn't even know when i saw that i was like fuck but here's the thing i never watched tiger king in the first place and i'm gonna see if i can continue you not. don't need to it's well, fine sometimes you know when it comes to my job i end up needing to um so <laughs> or the but, culture but i didn't last time and i got away with it and so i think this year uh I, I discussed it with my writer who was the Tiger King person. And she's like, yeah, I think we can, I can write a story about why we don't need this. I'm like, perfect. So, <laughs> my claim to fame is I've been to the zoo that Joe started working at, like the very first zoo he worked at. Wow. Oh, uh, even though we don't have like a premiere date, uh, the Umbrella Academy cast did do their little um, uh, burning questions video. And so I, what I uh, am excited about is this is when, whenever the show comes back, this is when B- Elliot Page um will you know come back and as after he came out um and i want to see what they do with his character so oh wow yeah yeah all right um, i guess the final question for this is ta-dum do we want this <laughs> <laughs> i mean which part I, look do we need a fan events for every single thing like there's a star trek day there's a Star Wars Day. There's like, I don't know. I kind of get ex- exhausted as a press person, and I wish they wouldn't just like backlog all that shit and just give it to us like piecemeal. But um, I- I'm sure as a consumer, no one else thinks that way. So mm-hmm. they're probably super excited. Oh no, it's exhausting being on the other side when you have to like, oh shit, I have to post it. Like you were, because I used to do social media, and I'd be like, I'm fucking glued to my phone all day. Like I well, just gotta post or like. But that's what I mean share? is like yeah. as a consumer, if you were literally just a fan and didn't have to think about this stuff, like would you be excited? <laughs> I mean, I think for the stuff that we got, I'm excited for a lot of the things, and then of course yeah. not not for the Tiger King. I'm but, excited uh, for half the things. Yeah, there's plenty of things, and um, they also did uh, emphasize a lot of their um. Uh, foreign titles including a lot of Korean stuff um, so they're definitely upping all of that you know if, if we're talking about Squid Game and all the K-dramas and the movies and things that they're pushing um, they're definitely trying to get the, uh, the international audience uh, viewership up in America so. yeah alright Jess what's our next story so our next story is um, it's I don't know if we've talked about this project yet on this podcast our friend Jing wrote a movie top the blacklist or like was number two in the blacklist last year and it is has been since picked up and will be produced by disney studios for disney plus and they have found their lead in bloom lee and the film is called chang can dunk a 16 year old not so popular high school kid and wannabe basketball player becomes obsessed with the idea of learning to dunk (laughs) <laughs> all in an effort to best the school's basketball player, Matt, and hopefully win the adoration of a very pretty Christy. Um, so I don't know about you, but like Asians in basketball, big in my school, right? Like a lot of Asians play basketball, even though they're like 5'8 and under, you know, we're pretty good. A lot of our JA friends grew up playing it um, in the leagues. And 
like I always associate basketball as something like very Asian American. Um, but yes, it seems like it's gonna be it's gonna be produced by Hillman Grad, which is Lena Waithe's company. And you know, I love a good coming of age movie. I love a sports movie. You're gonna tell me it's gonna be Asian. Uh, Jing is also has was one of the top three winners at the first HBO APA Visionaries contest. Yeah, he did I my favorite one that short. year called Toenail. Toenail, yeah, fantastic, extremely talented. Um, yeah, so I'm. Do we want this? This sounds yeah. fantastic. Uh, yeah, I I have to agree. Um, I think Disney and sports is kind of a winning combo. Um, I watched their Mighty Ducks reboot series i watched the big shots the john stamos basketball <laughs> thing with girls um i'm all for it this is kind of like besides the olympics the only way i get in my sports now that you say that i realize disney does have a really fantastic track record with exactly that young ya sports movies like remember the decom like brink and oh, yeah. double cross Brinked. and motocross double and- h hockey sticks <laughs> they were all very good. Um, I mean, they even I they made a Disney made a movie about like right wing hockey players that like I watch and love Miracle. Like I love that movie. They're very good at it. It is like you, it's like the very they've gotten that formula of how to pull the heartstrings down to a T. Yeah. Do you remember Johnny Tsunami? Um, Johnny Tsunami, <laughs> fantastic about skiing and snow. No, so it is. A, I think it's another. Hopefully, it'll be another addition to the beautiful D- Disney's great legacy of coming of age sports movies. Yeah. Disney also did um, remember the Titans, right? That was theirs. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yep. All yes. all of uh, Disney, ABC, Touchstone, Hollywood Pictures was ABC. I mean, they do uh, own ESPN, so. They yeah. they should know sports, right? I think there's also just because they yeah they it's all in the pipeline, guys. <laughs> capitalism, but I do think it's a really great just visual um of you know like a short or shorter Asian kid trying to dunk sports and Asians. Totally, give me excited. I want this. All right, our last story. HBO Max has won the rights to adapt the best at it, a book by Thirty Rock alum Malik Pancholi. It is his acclaimed debut middle grade novel about Rahul Kapoor, a gay Indian American teenager dealing with seventh grade crushes and anxiety in small town Indiana as he and his family seek to become the best versions of themselves. The adaptation is going to be produced by Imminent Collision, where Malik will co-write with Michael Golomko. Um, Imminent Collision, of course, is also the um, production company of Michael Golomko, Hilhu, and Randall Park. So, do we want this? Sounds like a winning combination uh-huh. to me. Holy crap. Uh-huh. All those names. <laughs> yeah. You know, we haven't had, you know, we've had several really great South Asian coming of age series over the last few years. Um, but this is our first one starring like a boy. And, and uh, gay, which yeah. I, I'm, I'm very excited <laughs> because you're right. I think Never Have I Ever is probably one of the best um, coming up age uh, starring you know an Asian lead and I would like this to, to join it I, rem- I I didn't I remember hearing about this book I forgot it was uh, Malik Panchali who wrote it because I like he probably is best known in my head as Jonathan the um, assistant of uh, Jack Donaghy from 30 Rock yes a great for its time slash now kind of problematic show for some re- for oh, certain yeah. reasons he was totally <laughs> like they totally threw him under the bus like that character on the bus. So he was like 
<laughs> it was so racist. Um, <laughs> and he deserves better. So I'm he was hilarious in the role, mm-hmm. but he deserved better. Um, so I'm glad he's being able to kind of control the story now a little bit more. Yeah. And, you know, we just need more like I just we need more non-tragic gay sh- gay stuff. Yeah. I'm we I'm just need more I'm over all of marginalized stories being tragic. Like I know there's already tragedy and so it's truthful, but like we can also inspire other people to like think of us as other things. Um I'm yeah. I actually want to read this book because also he, it seems like he has a second book that he is in the works too, which sounds fantastic. So. Yeah, I mean it won the Stonewall honor from American Library Association's Rainbow Roundtable. Um it's you know, it's gotten really good buzz and I mean middle grade novels have come a long way and there are a lot of diverse middle grade books now i mean uh but yeah and the team also looks pretty solid uh michael galanco uh, is a at this point he's probably like one of our like more most tenured writers right because he he worked for years on was it grim grim yeah yeah mm-hmm. yeah he co-wrote always be my maybe yeah. um and just really great playwright i'm just such a i've been such a fan of his um even what during his you know his broke playwriting days um and he he started imminent collision with randall and hugh ho and their mandate is asian american led um stories yeah comedies i think mostly but i'm very very excited for them to get start getting their projects out yeah i mean they have a really great slate coming up too they have a action comedy with sterling k brown which sounds pretty awesome and another action comedy um, takeout with Lana Condor that's going to be on Hulu. So Yay. lots of interesting projects coming out from that production company. Definitely worth checking out. Uh, but with that, um, that'll do it for this edition of Do We Want This? Um, Jess Han, thank you for joining once again to recap the Asian entertainment news of the month. If people want to find out more of your thoughts, where can they go? My trash takes are on Twitter at JustYouTweets. And you can check out my spooky name soon at Hanonymous. And you can find me on Twitter at Myron You can find our show at Good Pop Club. We are, as always, a proud member of the Potluck Podcast Collective. Check out our network of Asian American hosted podcasts by going to the website podcastpotluck.com. And yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll see y'all next time. Bye, everyone. Bye. gets a little crazy sometimes. Sometimes it's confusing, sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's beautiful, and sometimes it can just piss us off. Enter First of All Podcast. It's a safe space for real conversations about the things that we all struggle with, celebrate, contemplate, and work through in our daily lives. I'm your host, Mindy Chang. I'm an actor, filmmaker, and entrepreneur with a colorful background, a full life, and brilliant friends who I love to unpack life with to share with all of you. They are everyday people like you and me, ranging from award-winning artists, cultural icons, powerful CEOs, my hilarious childhood friends, and even my mom. Tune in for honest conversations on mental health, dating, sex, family, career, culture, and everything in between. Listen to First of All wherever you find podcasts. Part of the Potluck Podcast Collective.